Hi, and welcome to the Adaptation Station podcast. My name's Nicole. I'm a former special education teacher and currently a board-certified behavior analyst working at a private center. The whole goal of this podcast is to help you with balance. So you'll have some episodes helping you at work and other episodes helping you outside of work. I hope you guys are excited to dive into today's episode. Let's get started. I clearly remember setting up my first classroom. I was a brand new teacher. I had no idea what to do. I remember walking in and there was a stack of desks and a stack of chairs against the window. And then there was like a kidney shaped table, a rolling cart and two rolling chairs. And that was it. And I had to transform it into a space for my students to learn. I didn't know what I was doing, so my classroom was on the same hallway as kindergarten classrooms. So I went and looked to see what those teachers were doing, and although I taught third, fourth, and fifth grade, I thought modeling my classroom after a kindergarten classroom would make sense. I found out probably uh, within 90 minutes of the first day of school that I was way off base because my student needs were really different. And unfortunately, there's no cookie-cutter plan that works for self-contained classrooms. Each classroom is going to be customized based off of the needs of the students in that class. You might even find that you need to change the layout of your classroom each year just depending on who you have. But we will talk about six areas that you can consider as you start to plan your own classroom setup. The first area is instruction. So this is gonna be one of the main focuses of your classroom. And one question you should be asking yourself is how are you gonna provide instruction in your classroom? Are you going to provide it all in a whole group, all in small groups, all in independent workstations? Are you gonna mix it up? I tried the traditional desks in rows because I thought my students wouldn't be able to move around the classroom, but that didn't work and I quickly figured that out. One of the things I should have done in the beginning was to go ahead and make use of the whole group, small group, and independent work settings because each one serves a different purpose. And while most of my lessons were taught in small groups because that's what worked best, a lot of my students also needed those individual workspaces. I also needed to utilize the whole group model when my staffing was short and I needed all of my students together. So I'm going to talk about how I used each of those settings really quickly. So the first one is whole group. I always did morning calendar and whole group. And this was ideal when I was short on staffing during this block because I could add music and YouTube videos to the calendar and it's probably one of the more engaging things I did during the day. And so my students could sit in morning calendar a little bit more independently. I also used that whole group setting for read alouds, science and social studies, hands-on activities like art class. Even though whole group settings can be very tough for some classrooms, it provides endless opportunities for important skills, like being able to wait, take turns, sit in group settings, a lot of things that we have to do in our daily lives. So I really advocate finding a time where you can do whole group, even for just 20 minutes a day, so your students get exposure to it and you're working on it, And then that's an environment you can access when you need to. When you're short-staffed and you don't have subs, your students have the skills to come together for a short period of time. But the most common thing that I used was the small group. It was the best way for me to tackle the main content areas. Now, this model won't work for everyone, but I typically took my class and I split them into two groups. Now, I did not do this based on ability level for a very specific reason. If I had all of my students who needed the highest level of support in a group together, it would make it really difficult for me to give them the support that they required. 
I ended up taking my two students who required the highest level of support and put one of them in group A and the other one in group B. I continued to split my class until I had two groups. For content areas, group A would be with me for direct reading instruction, while group B would be with a paraprofessional in a reading center. We would flip groups and repeat the lessons. This worked wonderfully for reading, math, writer's workshop. And when I was short-staffed, I would have one group do independent work while I met with group two. Now, I do want to say, it's not always seamless, and not all of my students could work independently. But sometimes I could manage it where uh, SLP was coming to work one-on-one with one of my higher support students. The rest of the kids could do independent work, and I could pull a group. It was just a lot of orchestrating the schedule, but when I could make it work, it worked really well. The third area I'm going to highlight is independent work settings, and I didn't have these for years, and I cannot believe I made it without them. Being able to work independently is a vital skill for students. You'll see in many significant needs classrooms a row of independent workstations set up, and these are great places for students to work on IEP goals or individualized programs. So you can opt to have a designated independent workstation for a student. So this is Johnny's workstation. This might look like a three-drawer system next to his desk with a creative file folders aligned to his needs sitting next to it. You can also opt to have a more generic station that any student could use. This might be an empty table and chair, and you might stock it with basics like scissors, glue, and pencils. This could be a place that any student can utilize when they need a quiet workstation. But now that we've talked about those three areas, one thing I really want to emphasize is make sure that your classroom is inclusive. This makes me sad to share because I'm still really upset with myself for this, but it's worth sharing to help other people learn from my mistake. One year, I had put seven desks together in one part of my classroom. Seven of my students sat in that section for all parts of the day. I had one table in the back of the room for another student. On the surface, it made sense. The student needed to utilize an independent work area for almost all parts of the day. His setup made sense for him, but the problem was I had no place in the room where he could be included with his own peers. I can remember this clear as day. Two moms come in together. They're searching for their children's desk names. Mom one found her child's name quickly. Mom two kept looking at the desks and finally realized that her son's name was not there. She came to ask me where is so-and-so sitting and I showed her his workspace. She understood why he was in the back of the room, but it made me feel awful. She stood there and watched all of the other moms in the front of the room standing at their kid's desk and her kid was on the other side of the room. Let's talk about why that is such an issue. I wasn't fostering an inclusive setting in my own classroom. How would Jake ever be able to practice being in a whole group setting if I never gave him the opportunity to work with his peers? I wanted to share this, especially for the autism classroom teachers tuning in. Even if an independent work center is best for every single child in your classroom, make sure the setup is designed in some way that all of the kids can be brought together for something. If 90% of your class has the opportunity to sit together and work and the other 10% never get the same opportunity, your class is not inclusive. We can't expect our schools and our communities to be inclusive if we're not even doing it ourselves. So make sure you think about that as you set up your classroom. The next area is leisure areas and more, like additional areas that you might need. So some of the areas you might want to consider if space permits is having a designated play area with toys and books that students can use. I had room for this and I always wanted it to be clear to my students when they were on a break versus when they were expected to work. 
I also had a work task system set up in part of my classroom. This was ideal for students who had graduated from an independent work system and needed to generalize that skill. Instead of the tasks already being prepared in their drawer cart, they would go to the shelf. They would have a schedule that would tell them to get the blue square box, the red circle box, and the yellow triangle box. They would complete these three tasks in more of a community setting, and I really liked having that up and running. The third area is a calm down corner. I've also found it really helpful to have a separate calm down corner. This is a place where a student can go when they're escalated. Now, ideally, it is a separate space with nothing else in it, but in some classrooms, you might need to combine your play area and your calm down area. In this scenario, you'll want to have everything in crates that you can quickly pull out when a student goes into the calm down area or vice versa. You have that area empty and you just put the crates with toys and books out when it is actually playtime. You also might want to have some tools in the calm down corner that can help visuals and fidgets. We really just want it to be a really safe space for students to go. The next area is storage. Now I know that storage is not a luxury that everybody has. My biggest tip is functional storage ideas. So if you can have your file folder library near your independent work center and have your math manipulatives near where you teach math. The idea is that you don't want to be running across the room to get counting cubes when you have all of your students at the table for small group math. And something else to keep in mind is to make it easy for your students to understand. You might love having a whole separate whole group area and small group area, but maybe you can't make that happen. Try color coding to help students understand. When you have a green sign on the table, it means it's morning calendar. When you switch the sign to blue, it makes it time for math. It just helps them know the expectation. And then another thing that I did was add storage to the bathroom. I had a handicapped bathroom in my classroom, but no students in wheelchairs. So this gave me room to store file cabinets in the bathroom and make space in the room. I always had a decent sized classroom, so I never really dealt with big storage issues, but try searching on Pinterest. You'll see a ton of pictures and examples of teachers both in general education and in special education, who are making space of their tiny classrooms. Now, while we're making space in classrooms, make space for staff. So I opted to get rid of my teacher desk because it helped save me a lot of room. Instead, I just stored my bags in my cabinet and everything else I needed was strategically stored where I taught. But don't forget to make a space for your paraprofessionals as well. We wanna make sure we have room for them to store their bags and materials. I even bought a couple of cheap extra rolly chairs from Target, one for each of my assistants. It was a huge treat for my students to earn rolly chairs that were already in the classroom, but by having designated ones for staff, it made them feel more respected as team members, and when they were sitting at a desk helping Kid A, they never got booted from their chair because Kid B had earned it. It was a small investment for me, and it always meant a lot to my paraprofessionals. The last thing I want to highlight is problem solving, so keep in mind strategic layout options. If you have students who elope, you might wanna have them sit on opposite side from the, the classroom door and have several things laid out to make it more challenging to get out of the classroom. Use furniture to block your classroom when possible. I loved using bookshelves and rolling storage units to create separate spaces in the classroom. My dad even built me a simple divider out of PVC pipe and a shower curtain that I could use to divide the classroom. Also consider classroom decor. A vibrant classroom or a theme with things hanging from the ceiling and all over the walls might be too busy or too stimulating for your students. I had a safari classroom one year and my occupational therapist recommended I take down some of the decoration. I remember being really offended because I had spent so much time and so much money into the decor 
but it turns out she was right. When I took down all of the zebra and cheetah patterns and removed the animals from the wall, my students were able to focus better. I'm now a huge fan of functional decor. My classroom at the end of my career was rainbow themed for a very specific reason. Absolutely everything was color coded. Everywhere you turn, you saw color coded bins, folders, binders, desks, containers, and more. This helped my classroom run smoothly and efficiently. Another idea is to just do your classroom in soft blues and greens, or just stick to black and white. If you're gonna have bright colors, they should serve a purpose. If it doesn't serve a purpose, it might be best to leave the colors out. I know this is a lot to process. There is a freebie linked in the show notes of this podcast. And in there, you'll be able to go into some free resources that help you process what you learned today and apply it to your classroom. So be sure to check that out. And I hope this was helpful. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you guys found something useful and you can always come visit me on Instagram at Adaptation Station for more content all about work and life. I hope you guys join me for the next episode and have a good one.